We all have big dreams, but far too often we never give them a chance to come true. Well, that all changes today. Welcome to Just Keep Learning, where we'll help you develop the right mindset, be more productive, and learn more effectively so you can accomplish anything. Here's your host, Justin at Just Tries. All right, welcome everyone in our JKL community. If you know anyone struggling to figure out life and goal setting, feel free to pass this episode along because I know it would really help them. There's no better person than today's guest to help you own your big dreams. She was interviewed multiple times by Oprah because of her own ability to help you live life with purpose. As an entrepreneur and creator, she grew a very successful business called Dream University. With a deep understanding of learning, goal setting, and how to build confidence, she is a great person to learn from. Please welcome to Interview 29, Maya Marsha Weeder. Right on. Well, thank you so much uh, for doing this today. I'm, I'm so excited to have you as a guest because you're somebody that I really look up to in terms of not just content, but the underlying message, the why, the purpose. If I could put you on the spot and let's say I brought you into a high school business class, a teacher asked you to introduce yourself. Who are you and what do you do in the world? <laughs> well, hi, great to be here with you as well. And I love the idea of high school business class because that changes everything. Everything. For 30 years, known as Marsha Weeder, I was the CEO and founder of Dream University. And just like it sounds, it was a university school, more or less, mostly online, designed to help people get clear about what they want and make their dreams come true. So I've written 15 books on the topic, and it's really been my life's work. And then in May of this year, maybe this program will live on in perpetuity. So in 2022, I changed my name to Maya, partly after losing Losing both parents over the last year, not not from COVID. They were just elderly, and it was a privilege to be with each of them. Uh, but I didn't feel like the old person. So Maya paints where Marsha writes. <laughs> so I paint abstract acrylic every day. I don't use a paintbrush. I use tubes of paint. But in my heart, what I do, I guess who I am, is somebody who's committed to making the world a better place. And my flavor is seeing potential in people and reflecting it back to them and helping them believe in themselves and their dreams so they're going to take action on it. And that's what I seem to do every day. Uh, Six years ago, I walked away from my business and my career at the top of my career, feeling like there was something else. I still don't know exactly what that something else is. So every day I'm just being me. But I moved to Rome, Italy because it had been a dream. And two years ago, I moved to Lisbon, Portugal. And that's where I am now coming to you live from my home in Portugal. Makes me think of so many things that we could talk about, certainly traveling while working, uh, COVID, <laughs> having lost loved ones and, and grief being a, a big topic. I don't know if I shared, but I've lost both of my brothers in the last two years. No, from, from COVID? No. One, I would consider to be slightly connected in that he went into the hospital with an infection, uh, was sent home probably prematurely compared to what you would think would happen prior to COVID with a pancreatitis as bad as he had it, went home with medication, et cetera, and had a heart attack at home. Um, and then the other to a car accident. And I'm the oldest of three boys. So that has been an interesting experience to say the least. I don't mean to turn away from your sharing your story about your parents uh, to make it about me. I, that's the worst thing people can do when supporting someone grieving, that's for sure. I'm finding that we have even more connections than maybe I had uh, anticipated. So that is really an inspiring part of you sharing right off the bat shows how vulnerable you're willing to be. And 
what I'm curious about is that name change, because similarly, I can really appreciate that part of wanting to, you know, pursue that other identity. And I too have been painting a lot. I often have it behind me here, the paintings that I've made, and I don't have one right now. So that part's really interesting. Now, did you find that the name change was important from other than just the name change itself, like the underlying meaning to it? When I was with my dad at the end of his life, and um, I had 36 hours with him, it wasn't easy getting home during COVID to be with him. And when I was with my dad, I was opening up a file where he kept a lot of documents. My dad's first name was Murray, and I found a birth certificate that had a different name on it and a high school diploma that also had a different name. Mac, one was Max, one was Morris. I said, Dad, who are you? And he said, I think you should change your name as it suits you. And that was a big like, oh, I really am going to do this. So I had adapted, I had chosen the name Maya as a Hebrew name. I'm Jewish uh, many, many years ago. And when I first moved to Italy, I didn't really want people Googling me. I was dating online and I just started telling people I was Maya. And when people said, well, what do you do? I would say, I write a little. You know, I didn't have to say I wrote 15 books and I'm the CEO of a company and all that. As life would have it, a, an Italian publisher decided to publish one of my books in Italian. And of course, it had my name, Marsha Weeder, on it. So everybody was like, well, who are you? <laughs> and then when I moved to Portugal, a lot of people knew me as Marsha. So I kept that name. But after my dad passed, I could really feel that there was a new identity and a new persona that was emerging emerging. And on May 1st, May for Maya, it felt like the perfect time to take the name. So I'm still training a lot of people. So if you go to Facebook, you'll see me as Maya Marsha Weeder. But Maya is very different than Marsha. Marsha had a lot of ambition. She had a lot of drive. It's funny to talk about it in the third person because it's still part of me. I actually had to do one painting of Maya and Marsha facing off. <laughs> and um, Marsha didn't want to be forgotten because she got me to where I am. But I feel very, very different, much lighter, more playful, more relaxed. It's an interesting having this conversation with you because tomorrow is the one year anniversary of my father's passing. So, um, but I'm in such a good place and I'm feeling so on purpose with my life that I feel quite joyful and I feel lighthearted. And my mom passed two weeks ago. I, a year before my dad. So this period normally could be, it could be heavy. It could be a time of depression and a time of great sadness and grief. And of course, grief is the appropriate response to loss. And I've experienced a, a lot of loss, as have you. I'm so sorry to hear about your brothers, how incredibly devastating. And yet, you know, life goes on. So one of the things that I decided to do, my, my dad left me a bit of an inheritance and I decided to donate that. Um, I've been building schools in Kenya. I helped build 14 schools there and I decided to donate the money to building a uh, community community center and library in my mom and dad's name. So I feel so good about life, even though like everybody, I've experienced and I'm still experiencing some challenging and difficult times. So Maya was a choice. And I've now been living into her. And I would say the number one skill that I've learned over the last few years that I'm the most grateful for, for is discernment. The ability to, to check in and to say no thank you to what's no longer true. And I think as we say no more, we can say now what? <coughs> like a sneeze. My, <laughs> my grandmother, Grandma Fritzi, my mom's mom used to say sneezing to the truth. So I'm sneezing to the truth. You don't even have to edit that out unless you want to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I will. Yeah. So discernment, the ability to say no thank you and no more 
allows more time for what's really true and what really matters to us. And I, th- I think I'm living on track and on purpose with that practice. One thing I've recognized is consistent with tremendous guests and speakers and writers and people who are thoughtful is that their responses create the opportunity to move in seven possible directions. And there's a few things that, that I think of when it comes to that again. <laughs> and certainly I want to come back to this idea of discernment because I know it's a, been a lot of your life's work helping other people discern too, and especially in, in recent years. But when it comes to grief, to just stick for, with that for a moment, if we could. And thank you so much for doing this interview. And like you said, a time that could be a very heavy, challenging, trying time for you. When it comes to grief, though, a lot of people listening, I'm sure, have experienced loss. And if they haven't much, they certainly will soon. What are some sort of at least surface level tips that you would give people that are going to face those types of times themselves? Yeah, it's a beautiful question, Justin. I mean, I would say do your best to feel everything that you can feel. As I said earlier, I started to say before my sneezes, that grief is the appropriate response to loss. And when we don't grieve a loss, we cut off from part of ourselves. Mostly we cut off from our passion, consciously or unconsciously. We say, oh, I'm never going to feel that again. I think the secret to healing is to feel as much as you can, but not to get so lost in it. You know, it's an interesting thing with emotions. So we have to feel them to to heal. And yet we don't have to be so swept away. And I remember grieving something and crying so hard that I, I felt like I felt worried would I ever stop. It was that it was that level. But at some point I got hungry, you know, and I, I made a hamburger, you know, like like there's something about turning toward the things that you might want to otherwise turn away from. You know, intuitively it's like, oh, I don't want to feel that pain. But if we don't feel it, it's going to find a way to have us feel it. So I would say as much as you can, be with what's happening, but don't get so swept away inside of it that that's all there is. Because the, the way energy works is it can it can come on, you know, gang busters, but then after a while it, it dissipates. But our mind could say, oh, no, no, it's too soon. I shouldn't be done grieving. And we push ourselves further into it. So I, I guess it's about feeling what you're feeling, staying true and present to yourself, letting the energy dissipate, letting it come back when it comes back. And for me, my art has been a tremendous source of release. So it's like soul work, right? So soul work is, you know, the, the language of the soul is symbol. And if I can get into my art, Like I remember when my very first painting was the grief I was feeling around my father. And I didn't know what I was painting, but when it was done, it looked like a primitive mask. And then I did something that's called voice dialogue or active imagination, where I actually wrote out, you know, I said, M for Maya, you know, what's your name? And it said, primal, primitive mask. I'm like, okay, P for primitive mask. And I just did this writing process of asking questions and it guided me to actually go to the woods and to scream. <laughs> so I grabbed two girlfriends who thought I was crazy until we got there and and they were screaming with me, you know, but the ability to stay present with ourselves, to feel what we're feeling, to follow that, I think is a big path of healing. And, um, you know, I'm a little older than you, so I am experiencing now more and more friends that are losing their parents and their loved ones, but it can happen in a second, like you talked about with your with your brothers. I mean, this is why I, I encourage us to live fully in the present and in the moment, as do many other people, but to really, like, what will bring you joy today? What do you need to grieve today? What do you need to say today? What do you need to do today? And then conversely, what do you need to stop doing, right? That discernment piece, you know, it's like, what 
do you need to say no more to when it's no longer true and stop doing? So many people are focused on their to-do list. What about a, a, a stop doing list? You know, like where are you wasting your time and energy? What are you complaining about? And we don't always have a choice when someone asks you to do something. You know, you, you don't always have a choice. Your kids need you or you're under deadline at work or you have a commitment. You don't always have a choice. But when you do have a choice, as someone asks you to do something, you don't want to do it. You don't have to do it. Consider saying no thank you and making more space in your life and in your heart for what matters to you. This is truly incredible. And I know we're only getting started, but one of the connections for me with that is I started a membership once called Momentum. And that was because I believe that all we can do is build momentum towards the things that we desire. And, and really that that's one of those great words that can impact a, a lot of our lives, I suppose. One of the weekly activities I had in there was a not to-do list. And the goal that I wanted people in the membership was to weekly cancel something from their life and see if they could get to 52 weeks of canceling something something. And I think it didn't land in some ways. I'm sure for some people it did, but it can be so hard to break people of that needing to stay busy. And when I spoke at both of my brother's funerals in, in the last year and a half, uh, the first one, I created a, a eulogy and a video. And after that happened, everyone being in so much shock that it happened again shortly thereafter, people said, are you going to do the same thing? And I said, no, Ryan's a lot different than Shane. So I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something different. And I created a poem. And the poem was called don't tell me not to weep. And so as friends, I'll have to share that with you afterwards because the first few lines are about exactly what I knew everyone was going to do was to try and stay busy, but not allow those emotions in. And it was my effort to try and get that group of family and friends that we had gathered that day to take a different approach this time around. But a super important question is why a burger? Is a burger your favorite food? <laughs> no, it was just what I was in the mood for. <laughs> No, I don't need too much meat these days. I just had fabulous sushi last night, but it was just kind of, I mean, the point being, we can keep pushing ourselves further into sadness and depression. And it's a challenging thing to be true to ourselves, to feel, I love what you did at the funeral, that you actually created space for people to feel whatever they were feeling. And, you know, we don't tend to do that. And, I, and the thing that I'm the most proud of, I mean, I've, I have quite a resume. I've worked with three United States presidents. I've trained and certified thousands of dream coaches, you know, dream university, many things I'm very, very proud of. But the thing that I'm the most proud of is walking away from it. That would shock a lot of people. It would shock a lot of people, but I, I was just like, more is not necessarily better. I wrote a book that I was on Oprah with years ago called Doing Less and Having More. And it resonates with me now more than ever. And it's not actually about doing like less, but it's about being true to ourselves. And for me, that's the highest form of integrity. And integrity is the number one skill that I've always spoken about when it comes to manifesting your dreams. Because intention and integrity together form the core building block for manifestation. And a lot of people talk about intention, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And this part of integrity about really being true to yourself and saying yes when it's a real yes and no when it's a no. A lot of us need more practice and, and more training and practice and myself included. I, I try to clean up my messes. You know, I, it's not for me about perfection, more about intention, but without intention, without integrity, intention, I think is just a nice idea. So it's an important thing. And I think this idea of discernment, saying no to what's not true for us, helps us know ourselves better. It's like, well, wait a minute, I used to love to do that, but it doesn't like my fire anymore. And even though the world is still expecting me, in my case, to write another book, I don't 
don't know if I ever will because Maya paints and she doesn't really care about what the world thinks. I mean, as soon as I started painting and I shared a few of my paintings on Facebook, I got an invitation to do an exhibit, an exhibition. One of my paintings could be made into wallpaper. Somebody asked me if they could use one for a book cover. And my, my response is very New York. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Like, I'm not interested in painting to have it be marketable to sell it. And even right now, I, I don't even want to exhibit. Like, they're all over my wall. And, you know, my guest room has been turned into my artist studio. I paint for myself, for the expression of my heart. And through the symbols and the language of the soul, I'm coming to know myself on a deeper level. And now, in a new phase of life, knowing myself as somebody who doesn't have family anymore, because I, I don't have children and my parents are gone. So it's a very different phase of life. And I'm now I'm excited about it. You know, for a while it was wobble and I'm sure you can relate and a feeling of being lost and so much loss, like not knowing if I would get out of bed, you know, for a while to really let myself feel that grief and sadness and depression, but then to also feel when it was starting to lift and using the art is what really helped me get through it. I would say more, more quickly, not that I had an intention to get through it quicker, but the art was bringing me so much joy because I couldn't believe this beauty, its color and texture was coming out of me. So I'm, I'm, I'm learning who I am now as somebody different than who I have been. And I love this because at any phase in life, I believe we can create or recreate ourselves. Sorry to go on so long with this answer, but I'll make this one point. For 30 years, I taught people how to create. That's what Dream University is all about. But when I started painting, I got a flash of insight to start teaching informally, because I'm not teaching formally anymore, teach people how to be creators. We are creators. We were created to create. It's our God-given birthright to live a life of joy, love, and abundance. And we forget it because the first half of life, our soul is hijacked. Our soul is hijacked by our ego. And then at midlife, which is not a number, it's a mindset, we can shift that relationship and use our ego in service to our soul to do beautiful and wonderful things for ourselves and each other in the world. And it's certainly not a number as we've talked about kind of in a, in a deep way. We never know when that time comes up. So midlife could have been a long time ago for me. I, I don't have no way of pretending to know, but I certainly feel and have felt that shift for a long time now. One of the things that I think people really do struggle with when it comes to that shift, though, is this idea of am I going to be able to pay the bills? How do I get out of the sort of uh, rat race or the idea of needing to be busy more in that sort of Mihai, chicks in Mihai concept of flow right. and like being more connected to your work. I'm sure maybe thousands of people have brought that barrier up when being coached by you or by people on your team. How do you reply to that one? Yeah. So, so I was painting and I got this insight teach people how to be creators, not just how to create. And I wrote it on a post-it note and I stuck it on my wall. And by the end of the week, there were 90 post-it notes. You know, it was like, it was being revealed to me to create a course called Dream Mastery, dreammastery.com. That was really affordable because I, my programs tended to be quite high end, working with a lot of companies and organizations and just a higher level after doing it for 30 years. And with COVID, I kept seeing people who were afraid 
and alone and confused and lost. So I created something really affordable. And also on my website, there's tons of free stuff to help people. Because you're exactly right, we tend a couple of things. One is we don't value our gifts. So most people don't even charge what they're worth. That's a big conversation. And then like, what do you put a price on? I mean, I can paint and it's free. Creating a course obviously takes some resources and some energy. But nowadays, you can write a book and get it published without spending a nickel. It's kind of an amazing thing. Maybe maybe a nickel, but not not what you, 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 you know, at one time where it was thousands of dollars. So what I say to people is value your gifts, charge what you're worth when you have an opportunity to do that. And when working for somebody else, be discerning, right? So if all the time your life is filled up with doing things that you don't really want to do, but only the things you have to do, you're the creator of that masterpiece. So if you start saying no thank you when you have a choice and make some space in your life, maybe you are starting a second career. Maybe you are becoming more of a blogger or, you know, an influencer, or maybe you're just being conscious about how you're using your waking moments. Like, are you smiling at people on the street? And, you know, when you're not at work, are you going to a coffee shop? You know, are you just head da- heads down at your computer or are you available to connect with people? Because I've seen people go further in life sometimes with passion and commitment than with skill, experience, and even gobs of money. So the practice of knowing yourself and what you value and bringing that to the world can be incredibly rewarding. And sometimes it helps pay the rent and sometimes it doesn't. I was mentoring a guy, this is an interesting story. I'm mostly retired now, so I have time on my hands. So I tried to, I wanted to be a philanthropist and I realized being a philanthropist is not just about giving money. It's about generously sharing who you are. So if I can use my time, energy, my love, my knowledge, my experience to contribute to people who are doing their, like this, being here with you, you know, like, you know, to really just be generous is an incredible thing. So I I started doing some mentoring at a big university here in Lisbon. And there was a young man and he said, I really would like to meet you in person. So I said, great, come on over. So he comes over to my home and he explains to me that he's got a project in the gaming industry and he's got the who's who on his advisory board, but they're really struggling. They can't make this game work. So I talked to him. I said, you know, sometimes entrepreneurs quit. He couldn't believe. He was like, what? I'm like, yeah, if it's not working, quit and do something else or try a different game. And then he said, well, I'm not ready to give up. And I said, well, what do you need to make this work? He said, what what do you mean financially? I said, yeah, what do you need financially? He said, well, I need three more months in development. And I only need a thousand euros, a thousand let's just say $1,000. I need $3,000 to make it work. And I said, okay, I'm going to give you $1,500. He's like, what? Wait, what? I said, but I'm not going to give you the first $1,500. You go find somebody to give, you enroll them, you inspire them with your vision. They'll give you $1,500 and then I'll match it. You know, he broke down into tears. He's like, you don't even know me. Why would you do this? I said, because I see who you are. You know, one of my gifts is I see potential and you've got all the right stuff. You're an entrepreneur. He was taking notes feverishly. So he goes away. And he comes back. He calls me two weeks later. I need to come over. (laughs) So I'm I'm sure he's going to ask me for the money. So he comes over. He makes this PowerPoint presentation, Justin, showing me who he is and why he's an entrepreneur and what he's learned about success and failure and why he would be a good investment for me. I wasn't even looking for an investment. I wanted to gift it to him. And by the way, I gave him a copy of my book. My last book was called Dream, Clarify and Create What You Want. He came back. It was all marked up. He had it highlighted and looked like his dog had eaten it. So I gave him the 
1,500 euros, and I didn't hear from him for a couple of months. And two weeks ago, he reached out to me, and he said, "We didn't make it." I said, "Oh well." I said, "I'm not worried about you. You're going to land on your feet." And he said, "I want to pay you back." I said, "You don't need to pay me back." He said, "Yeah, I do. For me, I I do." And he said, "But I want you to know that moment when you said that you would give me that money changed who I am." He said, "I can't believe that you just looked at me and got me and believed in me, and you're believing in me." Help me believe more in myself. So he gave me back the fifteen hundred euros. We have. I'm a new friend. You know, I'm definitely in touch. I've got eyes on him. I'm sure he's going to do great. But what he said to me deeply impacted me, and I thought this is who I want to be in the world. And it's not about you know having so much money that I can just give money to people. It's about sharing what I guess what matters to you. And all of us can do that. And I understand people have responsibility and they have to pay their bills. And I'm not suggesting that you just go off and quit your job without having some. Way of taking care of yourself, but I am inviting you to think of yourself as a creator. I'm talking to your audience, right? To think of yourself as a creator, to open your heart, to start asking really good questions like, "Who am I, and how do I want my life to be, and what do I need to stop doing in order to be able to start doing what really matters and is meaningful?" I don't think we have to have a lot of money in the bank in order to follow our hearts. Certainly, I encourage people to have their expenses covered and to do what they need to, but. Concurrently, start to really ask yourself meaningful questions. Like, if you knew yourself as a creator, who would you create yourself to be? If you knew yourself as a creator, what's the life you would create? And more importantly, what's the world you would create? And start doing that now. I didn't want to cut you off, of course, but as soon as you mentioned the idea of being philanthropical, I was going to say you very much are being exactly that by doing this episode here and being so generous. One of the things that I have the toughest time in asking people to come on the show is because if I were coaching, let's say even I was coaching you or coaching all the people that I'm reaching out to, I would want to tell them to, you know, but that that their time is the most valuable thing beyond money to your point. And so I almost, there's a slight aspect of guilt in asking people to come on the show because I'm like, I don't want them to be wasting their time. I'll say that quickly, but then say that I know that it's not a waste. And that's what very easily pushes me into being able to make the ask even of people, you know, such as yourself with such a reputation and that sort of thing. Well, just stop it. You know what I mean? Like, just you need to let that one go.、It's、such a funny thing. I have this formula: enlightenment and two easy steps. Ready? Step number one: stop telling the story. And step number two: recover faster. So people tell the same story over and over, and we are not our stories. Our stories are part of who we are. And certainly, you could probably trace back, especially because you have a coach mindset. You could see where that came from. But is that really serving you, right? So I think you have an extraordinary opportunity for amazing people, teachers and leaders, and coaches in all different ways, shapes, and forms, to help so many people by coming on your program. So you actually have this incredible gift to give people, but if you don't invite us, everybody loses, right? I always say that one of the keys to manifestation is—it's、um, a funny word—but enrollment, right? When when we share, when you share your vision or dream in a way that inspires people to join you, to help you, to even invest in you, it's a game changer. And it comes down to two steps: inspire. 
and invite. So if I'm feeling self-conscious or that I'm asking for too much, it's going to be hard for me to fully inspire with my vision. So I have to stand in that place where I know what I'm doing is exceptional and is going to help so many people. Then I have to invite. And most of us suck at that. We're just not good. We don't want to, we don't want to infringe. We don't want to impose. We don't want to take advantage of people. So I, I would say, let go of that old story. I say no to a lot of people and I said yes. So this is your new, your reset button, right? To start asking more people and especially helping people during challenging and difficult times. People want to do that. So ask away. Well, I, I certainly appreciate that and makes me think of another thing that I had jotted down. And because you said that this is, you know, for me and it, that will really be a moment that I'll look back much like the other person, the gentleman that you shared about and really be able to say thank you to for a long time, I'm sure. Uh, another somewhat selfish question, although it did come from our audience, is the idea of niche. And I think I sent this to you in a in a message about uh, Dream Big, you know, your work, the work of people like Bob Goff, who's written books with Dream in the title as well. I think probably, I I don't know, you could correct me, but maybe at least eight of your books have dream in the actual title. And this idea of dream big is what I've always really stood for. And I constantly come up against business gurus, you know, entrepreneurial leaders in the internet, social media, content creation, influencer space who are like, that's way too broad. And I'm like, ah, I'm sticking with it for now. When I started Dream University, people told me I would starve. Yeah. It became a multi-million dollar company. People more than ever. And I will tell you in the early days, it was hard for me to sell dreaming. And I don't remember when it was, but Columbia University came out with a study that said that people with passion and dreams live seven to 10 years longer and have a better quality of life. So when people would say to me, well, who's your audience? I would say everyone that has a dream and everyone who doesn't. You know, I do think, I mean, my dream mastery program, the the one that I was talking about earlier, uh, it's just an online program, was really designed for people like us. And, you know, age-wise, there's a big range. I would say, you know, when I meet people who are just getting ready to go into college and they're terrified of choosing the wrong major, they need help clarifying who they want to be in the world and how they want their life to be. And then I meet people who are in retirement and they're looking for second half of life dreams. They're in a very different place. And I created the Dream Mastery Program for anyone who has a dream and is stuck or is in need of a new dream and wants to find one. So I think you have to be true to yourself. You know, I'm not an internet marketing gal. I mean, I only recently found out that I have 5,000 people on LinkedIn and I've never even logged into LinkedIn. So I'm not quite sure how that happened. I post a lot on Facebook because when I left my business and my and my community and my tribe, I wanted to be stay connected to people and I wanted people to know where I was. But then people started being so interested and curious about what I was doing and what I wasn't doing that I just kept doing it. So I tend to do that more probably socially. I mean, certainly when we launched uh, Dream Mastery, we use social media, you know, we did the traditional, you know, free webinar for me to talk more about the program. And from that, I think four or 500 people actually bought the program. But I don't think, I don't think money should be the thing that stops people from doing what they're really here to do. And as far as your niche, I think you have to be true to your own heart, even more so now that your brothers are angels looking down on you and really asking you to be the one in the family that carries the light. I think what they would want is for you to do what makes you happy. 
I appreciate that. And and that connection right there is so valuable to me and has allowed me to make more confident decisions that are for the people that I'm looking to serve. And that direct connection to them. And one of the things that they certainly struggled with throughout their adult life was getting clarity over what they wanted to do and being able to do more of what brought them great joy, right? One was music, art, and uh, writing. And then the other one was gaming and social media and those kinds of things. And those aren't necessarily the types of careers that society today really sets kids up for success with. Uh, We could go all the way back to kindergarten or look at any time span, but certainly for youth and let's say older youth, a lot of times I'm working with youth in jail and they have transferable skills, much like my brothers did, that are entrepreneurial in nature. And to be blunt, they they don't think of themselves that way. Well, for sure. Or when they do, it's around guns and gangs and drugs and these kinds of things, even human trafficking, right? And things that just because that's what the culture they uh, were surrounded by, whether they grew up in it or they found the wrong crowds for them as early teens and that kind of thing, either way, they that's how they were making money. And to be able to transfer from that's how I make money to go get a job, uh, the classic J-O-B, I have a boss and I'm working at Foot Locker or I'm working at a restaurant and I have to hate my life, they end up not being able to sustain that. But they always, and a lot of people advising them, are giving them those those options, it, it seems very much so. It's like either stay in that life that's bringing you nothing but trouble and is going to land you back in jail or go have a job. And for me, that's why I'm so bullish on entrepreneurship because I feel like it allows people to connect to their passions. Would you agree, I suppose? And then what would you advise them to do as like a next step to figuring out what they want to do as entrepreneurs? Getting clarity on what we want is the hardest step for everyone that I've ever met, <laughs> you know, at any age. In school, we learn the the ABCs. At Dream University, we teach CBA. Get clear about your dreams, believe in your dreams, act on your dreams. And the getting clear part is hard for a lot of people. And I don't mean to oversimplify it, but I will say where dreams come from is you make them up. You make them up. You dream them up. You use your imagination. That's what it means to be a creator. You know, so we, we make our... We make them up, but some dreams are, you know, based on need, like putting food on the table. Some are based on a desire, like maybe travel or or writing a book. But the dreams that are usually the most profound come from our purpose. And purpose for me is really about knowing who you are. And this is where the discernment practice comes in again, because the dreams that we have in our 30s and 40s are very different than the dreams that we have in our 20s or teens or 60s and beyond. So I think it's important for us to check in. I think people have midlife crisis because they keep doing what they've been doing. One of the reasons I walked away from my business, even though it was very successful and people thought I was crazy, I became kind of an urban legend. Oh yeah, she went off the deep end. She went crazy or she met an Italian prince and he swept her away. No, I was being discerning. And in my discernment, I asked myself, how would it be if I just keep doing what I've been doing? And my heart felt heavy. I'm a creator. So to be able to create a new me, I think that's why I feel so much more on purpose than I have before. So to live on purpose requires three things. One is to have a spiritual practice, whatever that is, meditation, running, art, music, prayer, a spiritual practice so you can hear the wisdom beneath the ego. There is a deeper part of us. So number one, have a spiritual practice. Number two, know what's unique and special about you, formed by everything that you would declare a success and the things that you would declare a failure. Everything that you've lived through has made you uniquely you. And third, to live on purpose requires being of service with that gift. 
You know, I, I have this funny saying, been to hell, lived to tell about it, transmuted it into love, must be here to teach about it. And it doesn't have to be formal teaching. It could be, you know, somebody who becomes a big brother and, you know, decides to take on working with, with, a, with a child or, you know, teaching through our life's experience, being willing to share what we've learned uh, in a vulnerable way. We never know when we can truly change, impact, or transform somebody else's life. So I think this idea of knowing who we are is a worthwhile consideration. If people go to dreamuniversity.com under library, there's a ton of free articles or people can purchase the course, you know, and I don't want money to stop people from having access to the program. So if there's a way to get it into the prison and it can help people, let's do that. I created the program primarily during COVID because people were lost and people were and still are losing loved ones. And with that, losing a piece of themselves. As opposed to kind of navigating what, what you're talking about with your brothers and I'm talking about with my parents, navigating through it and making better decisions for who I am and how I want to live my life as I become into greater awareness of how short and precious and priceless life is. It's like, what can I do today to make myself happier and to contribute so that I'm living more on purpose by helping others? Why do you think it is that people have so much trouble with clarity and learning to dream in the first place? Like, what are those dream blockers for most people? <laughs> well, you know, we make our obstacles bigger than they have to be. I mean, I basically think that all obstacles can come down to two, two flavors. They're either an internal job, something I believe about myself, my dream, or life, or an external job, something that requires a strategy or a plan. And that's why I was saying earlier, if we can interrupt the old pattern, if we can stop the story and say, wait a minute, it is true, I lived through hell, but, but right now I'm, I'm unhealthy. So let me make a different choice for myself. So I think we become so hijacked and overwhelmed and lost in our story and we perpetuate the story. I, you know, I'm a believer in therapy. I've been in analysis, you know, for, for many, many years. My mother used to say, you still trying to fix yourself? I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just trying to be a better version of myself. So I'm a believer uh, in therapy. And I think when we become so identified with our story, because we're telling it over and over and over again, it can, it can skew the reality of who we are becoming. And I, I love this. I think we're all becoming more of who we are becoming. I don't think any of us have completely fulfilled our purpose or we wouldn't be here. So if we're still here, there's more work to do. Some more work in becoming a better person and more work in living on purpose by using my life in service. And I think that we've become too narcissistic. You know, if all of our attention is always on me, 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 I think the, our world starts to collapse into ourselves. So I think one of the antidotes is to be generous and to be of service, especially somebody who's experienced hardship. I mean, if you're going to go back to the old life, you're going to get more of the same. So, you know, what's the one change? What's this one small little baby step you can make to pivot your life and to open up to new opportunity, new people where your whole life can change in that moment? There was a story I used to tell. Let me see if I can remember. It used to be like a signature story. I was giving a keynote talk many years ago in Portland, Oregon, and this young man came up to me, very tall, very dark skin, came up to me and he said, thank you for your talk today. It really touched my heart. I'm a long way from home. I said, oh, you're a traveler. I travel a lot too. And he said, well, this is the first Sunday of my life that I've ever been outside of my tribe. 
I stopped what I was doing. You know, who are you and where are you from? He said, I'm from Kenya, Africa, and I'm part of the Maasai warrior tribe. I'm like, well, what are you doing in Portland? He said, it's quite a story. Years ago, I was ill as a child, and my mom took me to a nearby doctor. And from that day forward, my dream was to become a doctor. He said, but it was impossible. There was no training available, and you didn't leave the tribe. It just wasn't done. He said, I kept the dream alive. I shared it with my family and friends. They all rolled their eyes at me and told me it was a fantasy. The difference between a dream and a fantasy is in a dream, you can design a strategy. But the paradox is people go to strategies so quickly that they limit their um, opportunities. So strategy is important, but not right away. So he said, um, they all tell me it was a fantasy and to forget it. And he said, but I never did. I kept it alive in my heart. And he said, one day around my 18th birthday, a visitor came from your country to my country. Turned out that he was a writer for the Washington Post. He interviewed me and other people in the tribe. He published my story. And a few weeks, like after that, I was invited to apply for undergraduate work for the University of Portland or the University of Oregon, one of those. And he said, and then I was accepted. I said, well, oh my God, it must have been the happiest day of your life. He said it was one of the worst days of my life. My family didn't have the money to send me off to America to follow a dream. He said it it felt like everything was being presented to me and I couldn't do anything about it. He said I did the only thing I knew to do. He said I got on my hands and knees and I prayed for a miracle. And he said to me that's that's actually what happened. Four families each came forward. Each one made a commitment one year piece to feed me, house me, buy my books, be my family while I was so far from home. I was bawling. You know, I was just like, look. Oh my God, that's such a beautiful story. People will come through. Humanity still has a soul. And he said to me, he said, but it wasn't until today when I heard you speak so passionately about dreams that I got really clear about what I need to do. He said, of course, I need to become a doctor. That's my dream. And then I must return to my tribe. I must be an example that no dream is impossible and the extraordinary things that can happen when we come together around a dream. So his name is Wilson, and I stayed in touch with him. He became a doctor. He went back to his tribe. He helped inspire a next generation of people that their dreams matter and that money does not have to be the thing that stops people from pursuing their dreams. That when you have something in your heart and you're really passionate about it, sharing it with other people can make a huge difference. That is incredible. And I feel that a lot of people hear that sort of impossible is nothing stuff, you know, like from Adidas and they think of marketing and they see it as fluffy or a lot lot of people hate the book, The Secret or the movie, The Secret, because of the the fact that they're like, yeah, that doesn't work. You know, the same way that they don't believe in something like a, a God or something like that. And that's unfortunate because I think examples like that, and that's such a special story that you have, but I'm sure there are many others too. Many other stories. And I'll add this one piece. Most of us know what's stops us, I answered earlier, are our beliefs. Those are the biggest obstacles. But it's most of us know that our attitudes and beliefs are never neutral. They either move us forward or hold us back. We're pretty aware of that. But I'm not sure that most of us remember that we choose what we believe. Can you choose to believe in yourself or your dream or your goal or your project, not because there are guarantees or promises, but rather because it matters to you? And does it matter enough to you that you're going to stand in the, I choose 
to believe in this. And then this is the intention integrity piece. Demonstrate that you're more committed to your dream than to any doubt, fear, or reality by taking action on it. Because people are watching, right? And if you're forever talking about a dream and not doing anything about it, who's going to get behind you? But if you take the leap, like the young guy that I was mentoring, he came over with this presentation and he was really committed and he was clear and had done his homework. I got behind him and that's one of the things that can happen for any of us at any time. And the ability to ask for help, most of us are really poor at that. You know, we're not so good. We tend to either not say anything, we don't ask, or we ask for too much. People say no when they're not clear what you're asking for. They say no and you've been talking about it for weeks, months, or years and not doing anything about it. Who we are and how we show up sends a very powerful signal out that people then respond and react to. Yeah, I, for me, it's when it comes to being able to ask and get that clarity piece, I created a post called Get Off the Fence. And it was for that exact reason. But I think one of the most challenging things to help people with is helping them appreciate that it can take a long time. Like this podcast, which is now, you know, going to be uploading its 20th episode. And this year will go from 20 to 100 in the snap of a finger, I'm sure, because there's 20 that have already been recorded. And it's like I'm having inbound people wanting to come on the show. And it's really growing, right? That snowball is getting there. And, and it's almost ready to be pushed downhill. But I've been pushing it uphill for four years and mostly because I've just been trying to figure out what the heck it is, right? The clarity about what the actual show is, who the guests should be and all these kinds of things and being able to give that sort of elevator speech to use that business term. And that's a pretty long time, but it's not really when you think about pursuing our big passions in life for it to develop over uh, a few years. It actually started at the beginning of COVID as well. So I guess it's been two years now, but it feels like a long time. Yeah. I mean, yes, it's important for people to hang in there, but I tell people to take a big dream or a long-term dream and break it down into a short-term project. 30 days. What's a real result that you're going to produce in 30 days that's going to prove to people and to yourself that you're not just talking about it. You're not just dreaming. Don't be given dreaming a bad name by being in fantasy la-la land, right? The difference between a dream and a fantasy is designing a strategy and the simple strategies take the big dream, maybe write it out in detail, pick a piece of it that you can easily accomplish in 30 days. Because 30 days is a short enough period of time for you to stay passionate and excited, but a long enough period of time to see a result. And we have to see results in order to stay motivated. You know, so I think your story is going to inspire people. On one hand, things are happening way faster than they ever have before. You could sit down in a weekend and write a book, pop it up on Amazon, as opposed to you know some of us who took years to write a book. I have a little book that I wrote. It's a, a company called Simple Truths came to me and it's my prettiest book. They had their they had all their nature photography and they wanted to use my words and stories. And my it was a small book, but it's my prettiest book. I really do love it. It's called Dreams or Whispers from the Soul. I don't even think it's available anymore. Maybe on eBay you can find a copy. So it's not a sales pitch. But what I wanted to say was I had a practice. Every day I write one and in 30 days it's done. And that's what I did. Every day I sat down, you know, and I wrote a short story or an anecdote. I knew it was just going to be on a couple pages. So it wasn't a big elaborate thing, you know, but to sit down every single day as a practice. And that was my project, right? So my dream was to 
have additional books published. My project was I was going to write this book in 30 days and have it done. It got out in the market like three months later. It was really incredibly fast. And to this, and that was probably 20 years ago. And I still have a couple of cartons of it because I love the book and want to keep it around. So, you know, the question is, you know, what can you do to make it easier? And what are you doing to make it harder? The number one way that we sabotage our dreams is we project our fears and doubts into the dream. And we do it with three little words. But what if? But what if I move to Portugal and I'm really lonely? But what if I quit my corporate job and start my own business? But what if? But what if? And if your dream is front loaded with your worst fears and nightmares, chances are you're not going to go for it. Or worse, you'll sabotage it. So the idea of separating, okay, this is my dream. This is my reality. My reality includes some of my fears and doubts. And then the $64,000 coaching question. Are you more committed to your dream or more committed to your doubt, fear, or reality? If you're more committed to your dream, prove it by turning your dream into a short-term project. Maybe identify a couple of people that you're going to call and you're going to share your vision with. Make short-term commitments to see real results and stay in action and celebrate your success, which is not just at the very end of the road, but success could be you did what you said you were going to do. That helps build more integrity. And I always come back to that's one of the fundamental core building blocks for making dreams come true. I'm not 100% sure, but was it in Peter Pan where it was the what if I fail? Oh, but darling, what if you fly? Exactly. I think that was Peter Pan. Is that him? I think it's Peter Pan. I'm not positive, but that is exactly where my mind went as you were saying that. And I think that's the- I have heard that quote. I didn't know it came from Peter Pan. So that's kind of cool. This is one of those show notes moments where we'll have to, I have to say to my assistant over there who I don't have, but- uh, (laughs) That you will have someday soon. Ask him to do quick- Hey, hey, Jamie, quickly pull that up. Yeah, just do the research piece after the fact and I'll I'll send you a message to let you know. One of the things that I was about to ask was goal setting and you read my mind, right? Because you you went there with the idea of the projects. And what I was going to say is I've noticed a few times throughout the conversations, you've mentioned depression in a simple way, just to choose one word right now. Because I think a lot of times when people think of something like depression, they think of clinical depression where they're not able to leave the hospital or they almost almost feel guilty for using that word to describe themselves and the feelings that they're feeling in, in a given moment. And the reason I bring this up is that I think with destigmatizing and removing stigma and helping people live their lives with mental health, we need to be able to speak about something like depression for what it actually is and that it can be such a massive continuum or let's say constellation. In any case, what I was going to ask was when you mentioned therapy, I too am a big fan of therapy as well. I often say that if it weren't for the therapist that I had in in high school, I, I, to put it bluntly, not super confident that I would be alive anymore. And there was so many life-changing moments just from being able to go see that person. For me, giving people tools that are proactive or just part of our lives like therapy, you mentioned exercise, that kind of thing, I think can be so valuable to just living with vitality. Anyways, that's a very roundabout thing that I just wanted to compliment you on and say thank you for your speaking about it in such a simple way. You could use a better word. Uh, Maybe you have some better synonyms. Let me add something to it, Justin, if I may. And that is, we talked about projects, but the other tool that I live by, I would call practices. So anytime you're wanting to change a behavior or develop a skill, even more self-confidence or or even being happier, we use practices. So practices are like a simple, a small basic step that you could take to strengthen a muscle, right? So if I want to be physically stronger, I go to the gym three times a week. If I want to have greater peace and stillness, I meditate 20 minutes 
today. And I think it's really useful for people to look at what is the skill or behavior that they're wanting to change or develop and break it down into something simple. For example, if one of the keys to manifestation is enrollment, you know, which means your ability to talk to other people and inspire them, but yet that's a block for you. You're you're shy or you're an introvert and you're not comfortable talking to strangers. A simple practice could be, you know, once a day, you're going to go out of the house and you're going to say hello to a stranger or, you know, a couple of times a week, you're going to go to your local coffee shop and talk to somebody in line, like really, really simple, basic steps to help develop greater muscle, I think can be an answer for us to learn how to deal with the places that we might normally get tripped up. So projects and practices for me, those are two very, very key skills that anybody can develop and they can start doing it right now. You know, even having somebody commit to listening to your podcast on a regular basis, that's a practice that can help uplift their spirit and help them have greater self-confidence. So I just wanted to throw that into the space. I really appreciate it. And the reason I had such a big preamble there was because I wanted to make that connection between understand that we all go through tough times, that we all struggle with mental health, some more than others. Of course, I've met tons of kids with extreme psychiatric needs right now, and I don't want to downplay that. However, as mental health in general, vitality and, and, and living our best life, having those sort of things as part of our life is super valuable. And one of the things that I think is having a goal and staying in the moment, right? So Eckhart Tolle's sort of power of now and uh, certainly, I know you've been on Oprah, something that Oprah's talked about over the years is like, can you live in the moment on your passion? However, we all believe in this line of work too, that goal setting is important. So how that's what I was going to say. And I think maybe you just answered it. How does that paradox get dealt with when we need to believe in goal setting? We need to learn from our past, but the best thing we can do for mental health is to create in the moment. Yeah. And for me, I probably use the word goal and project interchangeably. Like for me, a dream is more spacious, right? In the dream, it's kind of like, well, let's swing out of just being realistic. Let's open up to if time and money weren't issues. If we had, if I had the support of the people around me, if I knew I couldn't fail, what would I do? That's the dreaming, right? And sometimes that can be overwhelming for people. And also not all of us have been taught to dream. You know, I always had a dream of wouldn't it be wonderful in addition to learning how to, you know, do calculus <laughs> or, you know, that if people were taught to, to dream, to believe in themselves and act on it. But sometimes the word dream can be overwhelming for people. So I think goal setting is a little more attainable and projects even more so. And for some people, you have to just start small, right? What's one thing that you really want to accomplish today can really help be the practice that develops that muscle. So if the dream was to be an author, what would your kind of like bullet points that you would give someone be? Is, is there a, a personal agenda behind this question? <laughs> I don't think so. I will write a book. People ask me all the time, why haven't you wrote a book yet? Yeah, that's what I meant. Feel free to do that if you if framing it that way is easier. But no, not necessarily. Well, I, I mean, I think the reason to write a book is because you have something to say. That's that's really it. It's, you have a message. And when that comes through you, it, the book will come. I've written 15 of them. So I've dedicated a lot of my life to becoming a writer. I didn't think I was in the beginning. If somebody had a dream of being an author, I would say a great 30-day project would be by blank date, I will write an outline. Or by blank date, I will set up a writing space with a daily 
daily practice. You know, good writers sit down and write even when they think they have nothing to write. You know, the project would be create a writing space or take a writing course, and then the practice would be sitting down and writing. I love it. And the thing that I love about it is that you didn't speak to results, right? You spoke to that idea of turning professional, creating the space, allowing for the practice. The result is the project, right? The project should have a, a goal, right? So it's, you know, within one month and a measurable result. So because it also builds integrity. So if I say by the end of this month, I'm going to have an outline written, I put that on my calendar. And when that day comes, I either accomplished it or didn't. Maybe you have to negotiate a new agreement with yourself, but it's really important that we make and keep in great agreements if we want to have greater integrity. And the integrity works on a lot of levels, including other people see that we're really doing what we said we were going to do, they're more likely to get behind us, whether that's with an investment or just with the I believe in you. And that makes a really big difference. Going, going this alone, not advisable. The shortcut is to build your dream team. And the secret for building your dream team is to be able to articulate your dream with clarity, make specific requests, and make it easy for people to say yes. People say no when you're asking for too much, or as we said earlier, when they're not clear about what you're asking for. Yeah, that concept of who, not how is something that I'm really trying to figure out what that even looks like in my version of it, because it's going to be different for everybody. I can't believe you know we're near an hour into this and I haven't asked about the, the quotable type thing of being on Oprah or these sorts of moments. When I have such great conversations with people that really shows me what it could be like to have a show like Joe Rogan, where they just sit and talk like this for three hours. You're an excellent interviewer. I felt that you were very related. You were with me in conversation. You punctuated what I was saying, you deepened it, then you brought it back to me. And it made it really easy and interesting for me as well. I mean, I don't have any notes, I'm just having a conversation. But you did a great job. And I think this is part of your calling. So keep going. That's kind of you. It, it means a lot. It really does. Uh, because as you can imagine, it's been a journey. And I really appreciate you saying that it means a lot. In wrapping, I usually ask a couple of theme questions. People call them rapid fire questions. But then you realize that while well, questions just take the same amount of time as questions, it's the interview who gets to decide how long it is. And that part's irrelevant to me. I, I've got all, all day for, for people such as you who are, are so generous. But I do want to give you the opportunity before I ask those theme questions. You know, we've talked a lot about manifestation, dream university, goal setting, being an author, depression, grief. I mean, we've talked a lot. And, and that's why I was saying that I could easily talk for hours longer. We may need a coffee or a, a washroom break, but we certainly could talk a lot longer. That being said, I, I'll move on to the theme questions, being respectful of your time. However, I wanted to give you an opportunity. If on any of those topics, you have something in your mind that you feel like you would still like to add. No, I think we covered it. <laughs> Let's see what the rapid fire questions do. Awesome. So, well, for one, if you were to leave a piece of advice to that next generation, you were only able to leave them one piece of advice, what would that be? It's never been a better or more important time to act on your dreams. Don't wait for the right moment. If there's something stirring inside your heart and soul, act on it. Can always adjust later. And don't worry so much about strategy. Strategy comes later. Dream first. So open up to possibilities, but know this is a really critical time and go for it. That's subtle, but specific, the idea of not worrying about strategy. I think that will uh, really help a lot of people. Uh, something that you yourself are learning right now. I'm learning a couple of things. I'm learning oriental dance. It's kind of a form of belly dancing, but with some of my girlfriends here in Portugal, that's new. I'm, I'm learning. A, an artist friend came over and convinced me to hang all my art up on the wall. Uh, 
moved some furniture and it's all up. And I realized that I have a, a specific style that has been useful, but I want to learn how to paint. I don't even know how to hold a paintbrush. So I would say I'm learning. I'm, I'm going to take my first class after painting now for a few months. I'm, I'm learning how to paint. And what else am I learning? Um, how to make really good fried chicken. <laughs> I have a friend from New Orleans who makes the best fried chicken. I don't, I don't even eat fried foods, but it's so good. So cooking, painting, and uh, dancing. All Maya qualities. This is Maya. That's an incredible way to wrap in terms of your answers from where we just started off the top with talking about Maya. I really appreciate you sharing those learning things because it certainly can be vulnerable to share what we are learning when we're at the beginning. I love learning. I have a huge value on learning and growing. So I hope I'm always learning. Yeah. Well, then the title of this podcast, Just Keep Learning, can uh, certainly ring true to something that you believe in too. And the third out of the four questions is the opportunity to give you the microphone and just ask, if you were to ask me something, whether it's based on the stuff we've talked about or uh, to ask me a question that you feel could help my audience learn, what is a question that would come to mind for me? I want to know what's your, what is your impossible dream? What's the dream that some part of you thinks is just impossible, but it's really in your heart? It's so hard to answer this, and I'm sure you'll have uh, some kind of response, perhaps, or whether it's offline or, or on this conversation, but without feeling uh, selfish. But it, it's just as simple as saying that if this show were to be successful enough that it was in every high school and college in the world so that it could essentially be my full-time career uh, and all the possible things that stem from it, but for the purpose that it can help millions of youth with uh, living with vitality and mental health like we've talked about throughout this episode. Yeah, it sounds like that's the dream. And one strategy is the podcast, right? I mean, your dream is about healing and transformation and at a basic level, contributing to making the world a better place. And that's a phrase that's overused a lot. So I like that you have a specific way that you're wanting to do it. But I remember when when I started Dream University, my dream was to, to help people believe in themselves and pursue and achieve their dreams. And then I realized that, that, you know, I had one way of doing it. I was writing books or I was giving lectures. And then I thought, there's probably a hundred ways that I could do this. So I think your podcast is definitely a strategy toward the end, toward that end, you know, and every conversation that you're having and all the people that you're meeting and the conversation, it does sound like there's the bigger dream of transformation. So that's pretty exciting. And I think, you know, the, I mean, find a sponsor, find somebody who believes what you're doing and underwrites it. And then you have the finances and I didn't mean to switch into my coaching hat, but it doesn't feel like it's an impossible dream at all. It feels like it's a very attainable dream. Right. And as you were you were giving that reflection, it, it made me realize that with my conventional mindset around, not my conventional mindset, my conventional upbringing with education, I've often been asked like to be a professor. I have my master's in education in, in leadership and marginalized youth and these different traditional sort of like pathways in education. And now I'm currently a vice principal. One thing I've realized is that it's very hard to change the educational system from the inside. And so people that I wish I had an opportunity to interview, uh, John Taylor Gatto, Sir Ken Robinson, Randy Posh have all passed away. And so many others, you know, I know Brene Brown is doing it in, in more of a public facing way yourself with your books, that kind of thing. Exactly. My daughter's here. You can come here, sweetheart. And for kids, oh, 
I'll be one more second. Okay, sweetheart. So for them, for the kids, and that was such a moment, but in any case, for the kids, for learning, for education, helping them understand that we can go beyond curriculum as we knew it, and then differentiation and the things that we do for kids to help them learn to empowerment. I think that's the biggest thing. And that that's, that's the thing that it, it seems almost impossible to scale in the traditional education system. It seems- I love it. Yeah. And so stepping outside of the traditional system to help- help scale that with something like this podcast, or as you mentioned, the other options is where the impossible dream is. Can kids go to school or wherever we call it? Maybe we have a different word for it where we can help them feel empowered to succeed. It's impossible, right? That one's- No, it's possible. (laughs) That one might be impossible. The last thing is why and where would people go to find your work online? This new course that I created is some of my best, finest work. It's just, it's so insightful and accessible. So dreammastery.com, I think it's $197 or something like that. If that's a stretch and there's tons of free resources at dreammastery.com. And then the other major website is marshaweeder.com, which is more of my speaker website. But I would say go to dreammastery.com, take a look at that. That's the most comprehensive, newest content. It goes back to the CBAs and finding your life's purpose, but then it goes all the way forward, especially what I've learned in the last six years since I've not been working every day. And the idea of empowering people to know yourself as a creator, and then along the way, learning how to use those skills for creating the life that you want, I think that would be the best bet. And then, like I said, there's all kinds of free library materials under dreamuniversity.com. Well, I will certainly go pick it up because I don't think we can do enough of learning about how to dream. And I also feel that people underestimate the importance of investing in ourselves as opposed to looking for a stock market or cryptocurrency to dump our money into. So uh, at my next paycheck, I will go pick it up myself as well. And I'm excited to dive into it. Thank you. That's really sweet. My number one investment over time has been in my own personal growth and development. So like you, I am a fan of learning and growing. And And there's some amazing teachers out there that we can learn from and we can shortcut a lot of the processes uh, by standing on the shoulders of the people who came before us. I love that. What a great way to wrap because I'm often thinking when people say there's no shortcuts in life, I'm like, you're not doing it right because there certainly are if you are willing to learn. I love shortcuts. As long as we don't sell out on integrity, I'm on board for that. Of course, of course, of course. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I know you're you're busy and, and have a lot going on, I'm sure, and in very high demand. if if you want to be. So it means a lot that you were so generous to take this time. Thanks, Justin. I totally enjoyed it. And I hope the program helps a lot of people. I'm sure it will. Thank you. Take care. JKL community, thank you for being here. What an amazing interview. I'm sure that I will go back and listen to that multiple times myself over the years because it really had a lot of impact with every response she had. If you have a request for another guest that you think would really be good for the show, just let us know. and Let's keep building momentum with these interviews. Thank you to our guest, Maya. She is such a wealth of knowledge and so generous with sharing it that this really meant the world. Now, I hope it inspires you to get out there and take action. Let us know what you're up to when it comes to that because we really do want to support. Until the next episode, all the best and remember, just keep learning. You're one step closer to making your big dreams come true, but there's plenty more where that came from. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode, and if you know anyone who might love the show, send them a link. We'll see you next time on Just Keep Learning with Justin at Just Tries.